Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of Esports Boom, your weekly esports business wrap-up podcast. My name is Maurice Eisenman, and this week I'm joined by the first ever guest and now the first ever repeat guest of the Esports Boom podcast, Matt Kaliski, uh, who is a VC at Rubicon Ventures. Uh, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well, Maurice. Thank you for having me on. Glad to be back, and I'm looking forward to chatting about esports today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, when we when we had you on the first time, um, the audience obviously was uh, smaller than it is now. Luckily, you've gone through a lot of growth. But I think over the past few weeks, we've heard tons of different uh, kind of angles of the business. So we've had you know people from the team side, people from the platform side. Um, we've actually had last week we had our mutual friend Mo, who who has a startup in this space. Uh, so I figured you know the logical next step would be to get someone from the investment side. So very happy uh, to, to have you on. Um, as usual, uh, the first half of the podcast will be us going through kind of the big news stories. A lot of them are tech-driven. So very happy to, to kind of very eager to hear your perspective. And the second half uh, will be uh, us going through the uh, through your story and, and, and some of the investments your Rubicon has made in, in the esports and broader gaming space. And, and it's very, very interesting. So let's let's move let's move right into our first story. So um, uh, Facebook is going to play a central role throughout, uh, I think, the first half of the podcast. But our first story is the H1Z1 Pro League. Um, there a lot more information came out. So the big, uh, the big news is that the H1Z1 Pro League is a new franchised league, uh, which will fe- feature 15 franchises. Uh, these include uh, Counterlogic Gaming, TSM, Echo Fox, Tempo Storm, and Cloud9 as kind of the big names. Um, it'll be in a Las Vegas venue, uh, which will be broadcasted from the Caesars Entertainment Studios, which will be built, which are being built right now. Um, and uh, I think most importantly, uh, it'll be a Facebook exclusive kind of additional details. Uh, so you have revenue sharing, a player governance structure and, um, kind of, uh, Kind of that's kind of to build really a, a mirror traditional sports in that perspective. So I think the big kind of takeaways are it's out of Las Vegas, 15 franchises, a couple really, really big names. And obviously it's uh, one of the uh, few uh, recent investments Facebook has made uh, with regards to exclusivity on the esports space. So I've been giving all these details. So Matt, I would love to to hear your initial thoughts on this. Yeah, so kind of right off the bat, uh, whenever a new esports or title comes on board, I don't think that exclusivity is the best way to go about it. You know, I think when you're a new game or, or a new league, you want to go as wide and broad as you possibly can. And one of the big issues with Facebook is their tech is you know pretty inferior to all the competitors in the space. And another thing is, you know, when I'm thinking of Facebook, I'm thinking of going to connect with my friends or going to chat with people through Messenger. I never think of watching live video. And whenever I have tried to look for it, I have a hard hard time finding where that tab is. And they keep trying to bury it into the news feed. And it just kind of gets lost with a lot of the other things that I use Facebook for. And it just never seems like a destination for esports and the production value and the technology just isn't there compared to relatives. So that was kind of the first takeaway that really hit me. Um, the second thing is, 
um, you know, this is a traditional sports model mm-hmm. approach to esports, right? You're you have a stadium, you have a fixed location, you have media rights, you have exclusivity for who's going to be broadcasting thing. And throughout this conversation, I think we'll keep going back to um, you know this point and this vision of mine of what esports can be and why are we putting traditional shackles of sports and media into a phenomenon that that is digitally native but do we really need to have a venue do we really need to have narrow distribution do we really need to have a set number of teams and one of the things that really caught my eye in that article is i think was near the end with less than ten thousand daily players the ability for the game to attract significant viewership much less skilled players for 15 different franchises is seriously in question and i think this is kind of following this space a lot, it seems like they've been spending much mo- most of the past six to nine months kind of developing the league from a business perspective instead of really focusing on growing the viewer and player space. And you've seen, you know, Battleground and you've seen Fortnite, Fortnite kind of come in and eat their lunch because they weren't they were focused on the wrong things. They were trying to manufacture an esport, which you can't do. Only the community can create an esport. So those are my first kind of few gut reactions to that. Story. Yeah, so let's let's go more more into that. So uh, recently, I've, I've I've done some research, particularly on this story, and I've I've heard some of the recent interviews that some people from uh, the Twin Galaxies uh, side gave, and um, their vision was really interesting. Like I said, I share some of your uh, some of your concerns, right? Um, I do. F- the big one, and, and, and Twin Galaxies is very open on this, is the low number of participants right now. Um, H1Z1 and Daybreak Studios have uh, kind of try, are trying to combat it now. The game officially is free to play as of, I think, uh, a week ago. So we'll see if that has any effect. But do you think that's too late with all well, the strides that PUBG and Fortnite has been making? I, I think it's... I do you even hear... H1Z1 in conversation? No, absolutely you don't. But I think it's too late for... Uh, I, I think it's too late in a sense I don't think it's another Fortnite or PUBG. Um, I don't think it's too late in the sense that they might have a small but dedicated community because of that. Um, and I don't know what they consider to be success. Um, I don't know what... Maybe their success for them is if they get, you know, a small group of a few thousand people that should, that watch it every 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 week and and maybe you know I don't maybe there's no buy-in price maybe it's it's just based on you know getting uh, getting you know content it's kind of a content distribution play um, what Jace also said Jace Hall from uh, uh, Echo Fox and Twin Galaxies he said that uh, for them they're trying to really experiment with H1Z1 and work together with Daybreak on creating the best possible viewing experience. So they uh, they are looking at this as a viewing product first. Uh, so how can we how can we kind of use the game and use the engine to create a product that's viewable to watch? Um, but why only go on Facebook? I think, well, uh, one big reason for that could be Facebook has been very strong in getting exclusive. I mean, we're going to talk about another exclusive Facebook league. I mean, Facebook uh, got the exclusive right to ESL1, yeah. and that's a really... And have they recovered since that? Uh, well, they just started, right? Yeah. So uh, Facebook, like that was like announced a month ago. So Facebook is putting in a lot of money, 
And at maybe, you know, one of maybe with the Facebook deal, at least they got their costs covered. So they know that, you know, either this can be can go well and we can build out of this uh, further on. But if it doesn't, then at least we have everything covered. They might have had that initial revenue to then go to a, a TSM, a, C, a CLG, a Tempo Storm or Cloud9, these huge teams and say, hey, come to, come be a part of our league. There's revenue share from day one, your costs are covered. And and that way they're bringing in all these big teams with their content platform and their audiences. Um, so maybe it was kind of a deal with Facebook, you know, kind of thinking, okay, that way we can we can go. Um, I do think it's it's a, a very big uphill battle because um, I've said this on the podcast before, esports is a community first. And out of that community builds a kind of a competitive scene. So if you don't have that community, in this case with H1Z1, um, you really need to take care over the next few months, you need to build that. Uh, and that will be key. It'll be an interesting thing to follow, uh, interesting story to follow. Um, but one of the things that I, I I do kind of the audience, I think audience will have a very negative reaction to this story. I will put into your head is what you consider to be success might not be what Daybreak and Twin Galaxies consider to be success. Their bar might purposely be lower uh, and, and it might be on a, on, on a more efficient and leaner scale than you think it is. Um, I do think, you know, we'll, 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 see, we'll see how it goes. Do you have any, any other kind of thoughts on this? I think, I think you covered it pretty well. I think anytime you just try to build a community from such a low base, it's, it's really tough. It's going to be really tough. And it seems like without having the end user engagement and a lot of excitement, how are you going to manufacture that? Right. I think, and is that, I hate the word, you know, everybody keeps talking about it. And we had this conversation mm-hmm. about the word authentic or maybe transparent is what I, what I prefer more recently is can you build something for the community right can you do it for them because it just seems if you bring in business and brands and partnerships at such a early stage it does kind of tend tend to be manufactured in my view yeah um i i do see your concerns and i i definitely you know, the problem with these type of stories is, yeah, I, I see there are a lot, a lot of challenges. And I think um, you're starting from, you're starting down all the way down the hill. And it'll be, you know, and it's Twin Galaxies' first leak. So um, everything is up to them now. Like, they have to perform. If they do, they'll, if they pull it off, it's surprisingly to them. And, and it will probably lead to a lot of other business. Uh, if not, then it's probably won't be such a big surprise to a lot of people. Uh, moving on to our next story, um, we've discussed uh, over the past few months every major sports league in the U.S. coming into esports, with the exception of uh, Major League Baseball. Um, I do have, I do understand why, but the uh, NHL uh, entered the esports market with their tournament. So, just to give people an idea, over four consecutive weekends. Uh, starting March 24th, registered players will play one-on-one games in uh, an online qualifier. Um, the qualifiers will be open to people from Canada, the European Union, and the U.S. Um, then they'll have regional finals, one in Stockholm with Viazat Studios, uh, one in Canada, um, and one in the U.S. at NBC Studios. 
And the winner and runner-up from each of these finals will go to Las Vegas for the big gaming final at the eSports Arena at the Luxor. Um, and the top two gamers of that will go against each other uh, with the winner uh, receiving up to $50,000. Um, so I do have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'll give you, I'll give you the initial, uh, initial mic. Sure, so I'm not as familiar with the NHL conversations, but I do like the fact that they've partnered with NBC Sports Absolutely. Um, on this. I think it'll bring a higher production value and combine the expertise of the NHL. I'm curious um, if you have more information, if you know what the format will be, you know, how, many, how long will each of the periods be, each of the games, how will it be playing in between. I mean, I would love to see them if I'm watching a big tournament instead of like a pregame um, maybe they can slide it in there or during an intermission. I'm not mm -hmm. quite sure how they will program it, uh, but with NBC's help, I'm sure they can figure something out. But I'd be curious to hear if you know any more details as to the format and all that stuff. So um, if our audience remember, if, remember a few weeks ago, we had the kind of the head of esports for NBC. We had him on the podcast, uh, uh, Mike Prindville, and um, they've obviously done a, a, great, a great deal with uh, their Rocket League series. Uh, and this is... Obviously, a low, a very, uh, very logical partner for the NHL because they already the NBC has the rights and they have a, a really good ecosystem with regards to esports. They have a proven track record, and and Mike really knows really yeah, really Mike knows is great. stuff. Yeah, uh, and uh, I do think that um, this is NHL getting their feet wet in esports. I mean, this is not a league. This is not an NBA 2K league. You know, this is way smaller they don't have teams you know you're none of these players rep is representing a team they're just representing themselves uh, and the league nhl league as a whole not one particular team and i think this is you know kind of a, a pilot pro uh, project for for uh, for the uh, nhl i do think you'll you'll see a lot of these tournaments kind of in the regular broadcasts just because nbc is a partner i don't think they'll get like slots on NBC Sports. But I do think maybe if you're watching the regular NBC broadcast, like you said, maybe during intermissions, you, you see like some highlights of like uh, maybe one of the regional tournaments, just a little bit to fill up content and, and get, get more reach to this. I think it's interesting. Um, NHL of all the kind of EA games, so you have FIFA, Madden, and underneath that, the NHL game with regards to the user base around the world. So FIFA is one of the most popular games, period. Madden is not popular outside of the US, but is really popular in the US. And then you have NHL, which is relatively popular, but doesn't have the audience that Madden or FIFA has. So that's a challenge. And I do think that this is a very, very smart step that they don't go you know, all over. Yeah, they just dive into the deep end yeah, right exactly. away. They're starting, the market. they're starting small, seeing if they can maybe convert some of the initial community. Um, yeah, I do think, I do think this is, uh, this is smartly done. Uh, and, and I think if the NH, if this doesn't work out, the NHL can conclude that maybe esports isn't a good step for them. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Yeah. Moving on to our next story. Um, once again, going back to Facebook. So Facebook secured another esports exclusive with the Gfinity Elite series. So Gfinity has announced that for 2018, all digital broadcasts, um, because they the Gfinity was on, I think, BBC3 in the past, so all digital broadcasts will go exclusively through Facebook. Uh, it has to do with all UK matches, um, as well as any future territories, but not Australia. 
So Australia is their own deal. Um, so just so people know what Gfinity is, Gfinity is really a a, a really UK-based uh, franchise league in the sense that there are multiple games. In the past, it was uh, FIFA. Uh, they had some fighting games. And um, they basically work together with a group of teams. And if you're a team that buys into the league, you basically say that whatever game H1, uh, Gfinity is going into you'll be a part of for that tournament. So in the past, like I said, they had fighting games. They're doing really well with FIFA. And um, it's a very interesting and unique kind of business model. And um, yeah, I do I do actually think, and I'll, I'll tell and then I'll, I'll give it to you. I do actually think that when you're looking at, you know, what makes sense with regards to Facebook, I think this deal might make a little bit more sense because if you're looking at the partners that Gfinity has, a lot of them, whether it's Hashtag or Unilad, um, are very, very strong brands on Facebook. Unilad, like the Unilad Facebook pages, is basically their business. And out of that business, they start an esports team. So for them, I think the if Facebook works closely with them, and that'll be key, I think the, the way how they can convert these Unilad fans and existing fans into at least checking out the Facebook stream um, might be higher than, let's say, for other Facebook yeah. exclusives. Uh, what do you think, Matt? If they drive them to Unilad's own Facebook page, if they give right. the availability to host on, you know, if the, if they give if face, if Unilad can maybe post the the stream on their Facebook page and, and drive traffic through that, I mean, that's up to Facebook to work together with Gfinity to. Yeah. So there is the potential, but you know, it just depends on how they make the stream discoverable and where yeah. within the huge machine that is Facebook. Yeah. They want to put that little tab for people to find it. So it can either be a huge, you know, brand activation for Unilad and really drive viewership, or it can go the way that typically these things go. Well, with I, big companies. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's the, the the problem with Facebook as a as a platform right now, or not the problem, the challenge is the fact that Facebook uh, really like like. Like, it's not a viewing platform yet. They want to try to get there. They want to try to make it a destination for life, whether it's sport, traditional sports or esports, but it's not at the moment. And um, at every time, there are 10,000 different versions of Facebook going on at the same time. And maybe in version, you know, 100, um, you just need to like esports, you know, something that has to do with esports, and boom, Gfinity Elite Series pops up into your feed but maybe from version a thousand all the way to ten thousand you specifically have to like the gfinity page and actually click on the page in order to see the stream and um i think that that that's something that publishers and, and, and league developers need to be very well aware of honestly i just don't think there's any incentives for any team or league to drive people towards their facebook um i don't know what kind of data tools or monetization options Facebook provides, but I think we're seeing Twitch recognizing that threat and they're trying to make it more of a community with a development program. And that will just make it much more difficult um, unless Facebook really opens up the kimono and really embraces video and none of this pre-roll and mid-roll yeah. stuff that they tried earlier on that really put a lot of people. I just don't know how successful they will be with this. Yeah, I think it's a very big challenge. Facebook did announce a gaming creator program not too long ago as a way for streamers to monetize, kind of a way that Twitch has a partner program. It's a first step into the, into the right direction. Um, Twitch is miles ahead of them. YouTube is ahead of them. Uh, but it, 
but maybe with exclusivity, it shows that they're at least serious about it. So I think, I hope that over the next few months, we'll see the actual Facebook product adapt to all the content they have. I just still kind of find it ironic that a platform that wanted to make everything transparent and connected now is getting into exclusivity. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's the name of the game with when it comes to sports and esports. Like, yeah. you're, no one's gonna go to Facebook unless they are the only platform for it to be. That's right. with every new. That's like the power of sports and and like over the past. It's that the, if you have the rights, if you're a fan of that league, you have to go there. Um, but as we've seen in esports, um, kind of easy accessibility is much more important than in traditional sports. Um, so for a final story. Um, so there's a new Clash Royale League. Uh, so mobile game developer Supercell uh, is opening up the Clash Royale competitive scene to everyone, uh, literally everyone, anyone. Um, and you need to achieve level eight in the game, which is relatively easily. Then you need to win 20 games. And if you do that, similar to the NBA 2K League Combine with their 50 games, you get a uh, you're, you get put in and you get uh, eligible to be drafted by a pro team. So there are a lot of big pro teams that have shown interest into going into Clash Royale. So this is basically as close to a path of path to pro as you're ever going to get. All you need to do is just be on your phone and win 20 games in this period, which most Clash Royale players play enough games that in those few weeks they'll win 20 games regardless. And maybe if you're very competitive and you do really well, before you know it, you get an email like, hey, you're selected for the draft like you might you, you know you might be a pro uh player for clash royale that might be in your future um do you have any thoughts on this? that's a great way to democratize the process yeah. but um to be candid i just didn't get a chance to look into this story oh, much, no worries. but um you know I, I think it's an interesting take um it really is what esports should be, right? Just anybody, regardless of where they are, mm-hmm. given their capabilities, you have access and the ability to perform. I think it's great that somebody is actually truly embracing that. Yeah, I think a path to pro is one of the most powerful things you get in esports. So an, a, kind of a an ability, that's what we've seen in the past, right? All you need to do is be high on leaderboards and like you will, someone will reach out to you from a team. And this, and it's important that keeps on staying um, just for people who don't know, Supercell and Clash Royale, it's owned by Tencent. So this is once again, one of Tencent's many activations in the space. And it, it'll be a really, really cool story to follow. Especially, it's, it'll be cool to follow what teams end up being part of this draft. Uh, I think some of the bigger teams, I think like uh, Team Liquid already sh- said they were interested. Uh, so this will be an, a, a story that we here at Esports Boom will definitely follow. Um, so enough talk about the esports business news. Let's talk about you, Matt. So uh, I think what's really interesting, as we've had some people before who are, uh, and I think Mike from NBC is a good example, who moved in from kind of a traditional business role and, and, and were really new to to esports and were just generally interested in learning more and eventually you know made it a big part of their career. So how about you tell the audience? A little bit about your journey uh, from uh, from the traditional uh, business world into esports, and more importantly, uh, Rubicon. Sure. So um, you know, I started out of college. I went to Boston College, 
where I studied finance and international studies, so super non-related to esports. Um, I then went into investment banking in New York City, worked for a middle market investment bank covering emerging technologies, a little bit of digital media, and some gaming. Um, I believe I was lucky to get a pretty cool assignment. Uh, but my passion for gaming and esports in general kind of started way back when, when I was younger. So I was uh, one of the youngest cousins growing up. <laughs> and, you know, back in the day, there weren't enough consoles and computers for everybody. So being the youngest one, I kind of grew up with watching my cousins play, you know, different kind of games. I think the first one I remember playing was Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six when it first came out on PC. And then they kind of morphed from there. And I've always kind of enjoyed that aspect of, you know, watching my friends and like my cousins or later in college, my roommates play. And I found, you know, I enjoyed playing, but I was never as good as them. And I got more joy of watching people play. And then once I started at Rubicon, which is almost two and a half years ago, um, the partners had made an investment into Unicorn uh, before I joined. And as I, as I was getting my feet wet in the industry, I really wanted to go back into you know, combining what I saw as my passion and, you know, how I enjoy spending my time, but also where I saw a large opportunity. And it just happened that I, I was digging into Unicorn. I kind of saw the business side of um, esports rise. And, you know, we're our generalist fund at Rubicon. So we do um, both consumer and enterprise SaaS companies focusing on late seed and series A. So when companies, you know, are doing about a million bucks in revenue, so very early. Um, and I just saw the esports market as super exciting. Um, there was a lot happening. Twenty was early twenty fifteen, which is the very early stages of this going mainstream. So I was lucky enough to have some conversations um, and start getting smart about this, and you know, really start putting my thoughts on paper, kind of before this thing blew up. So you mentioned Unicorn, and I think our audience is familiar with Unicorn as they're, you know, especially in the betting space nowadays, our big name in esports. Uh, but you have a company that you, you guys have invested in called Maestro, which is actually kind of a behind-the-scenes company, which I think the general esports audience might not know about. So can you talk a little bit more about Maestro and their vision for, you know, kind of how the, the broadcasting of esports, uh, where it will go to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you'll have to have Ari in here next time he's in New York because yeah, he can do absolutely. true justice. Um, so Maestro is a white label enterprise live streaming platform that allows any brand, esports, or property to become an instant Twitch. Right. Mm -hmm. So the whole bundle, the whole idea is unbundling of CP of sorry, unbundling of video mm -hmm. to allow brands, esports teams, organizers to have a direct relationship with the customer and to create a platform that allows the engagement, monetization, and analytics um, in a true one-to-one -one relationship with the viewer. So the long-term vision is that Maestro will be the platform and a set of tools that allows for the monetization of live streaming content, including esports, and at the same time, because of the way in which they're able to create interactive content, they are beginning to build up the detailed CRM for the core cutting generations. So there's a lot of really interesting infrastructure plays that they're doing and the way in which um, they're helping to bring brands and kind of ROI and measurement into this industry. So for people who are not that tech inclined, let me give an example. So um, 
I was at we were at the um, esports activate conference and Ari this this the CEO of uh, of of Maestro gave a good example with someone who actually isn't a client of of Maestro yet so they used Overwatch so let's say you're watching Overwatch at overwatchleague.com uh, you know when uh, a player of the San Francisco Shock makes an incredible uh, makes does, does an incredible skill you know it pops up maybe something like oh um want to want to buy his jersey one click bam you 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 know just fill in the details and you buy his jersey and makes it monetization very easily uh they can uh they can drive kind of these thing called quests that that incentivize the user to spend more time on the stream they might you know pop up questions like once in a while like oh uh, who's who uh, which which one of these two teams scored the last point? And if you if you guess correctly, you know you might get certain incentives. Yeah. So it's a great great way, kind of, and a great glimpse in where the future of broadcasting is going to. And what I do like is that although I'm a big Twitch fan, and you guys certainly work with a, an existing Twitch broadcast a lot of times, it does give publishers and, and anyone basically an option to have their their own kind of streaming as well. Yeah, it's there it's controlling the entire journey, right? And I think you're right on in describing what they do, but I think the big vision is that with all the, you know, the, the fraud and the ways that we've seen in digital advertising online, reach, you know, and concurrent viewership is just not enough and it's not a true vision, especially in an industry where people are just so passionate about what they do. And some of the engagement metrics and some of the quests and the polls um, and the content that Maestro is putting is just kind of mind-blowing how many people are self-identifying or driving, you know, certain actions, right? That It's that impulse decision when um, you see some a great shot or something and you want to really share that. And it also provides um, a great way for branding in a way that is not intrusive for the viewers. So kind of like what um, Ari was showing, like, the Intel shot of the game mm-hmm. or presented by in a way that is not in your face, but it also allows brand activation. Yeah, and and, and furthermore, I think uh, Ari announced that you you guys really gonna, are gonna and gonna have a score out of a hundred uh, on a few different kind of metrics that will basically compare your stream to any other of the maestro streams so that you really know like where do i stand like do where where can i improve on i think that's very valuable and that really opens up the marketplace for large brands right if you care about just viewership or length of viewership or engagement or monetization do you want a small and super engaged do you want to go broader maybe less engagement as a brand you'll be able to come in and have all that data that nobody else can really provide you right and it's that direct relationship that you can have with your viewer because you're able to get that data at the end of the day. And as a brand, you can make a decision based on the metrics that are important to you. Yeah. Um, so moving away from Maestro, let's let's talk a little bit about investment in the space. So as a seasoned investor who has made you know investments in the space, definitely Rubicon. Um, what is something that you're looking for in an investment in esports? And then secondly, um, and we've talked about this in private uh, quite a few times, where do you think, you know, the investment space in esports is going to? Okay, so um, I think 2017, which is a huge year for investments in esports, kind of on a whole, going from 
you know, investing into teams, startups, brands getting involved. Uh, but I recently wrote an article that maybe we can link to. Yeah, I was just about to. Um, well, we're, this is my next topic. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, but, but I think it kind of goes into... The, the, no, since we're already talking about this, do, and we'll link it in the show notes, but do give kind of a, a short summary tease what your article is about. Yeah, so the article that I wrote is a hypothetical exercise um, of looking at what might happen if the publishers that are currently being so nice and benign to startups by allowing them to build off of their IP and have given open access to their APIs might change their behavior, right? Because I think that a lot of startups and a lot of investment dollars have gone into really, you know, maintaining that idea that that will not change. But I think we've seen, you know, Blizzard becoming much more active and taking more control of the value chain. Um, you know, we just saw Valve uh, release Dota 2. I think PUBG acquired Maglory to create more of the, you know, ownership over the value chain and control that other startups were building, right? So I think it was Dota Buff is mm-hmm. now a direct competitor to Dota Plus, right? Um, so I think the what the article was about is trying to explain what might happen if those publishers you know begin to realize the true potential of using esports much more than just for marketing right and if you can actually build a business and all the additional ways to monetize through that so that's kind of what the article is about i don't want to bore you guys and girls with um with me talking about it you can just go and take a quick read yeah well definitely we'll put the link in the description because i think it's it's very important it was really the kind of what really was like what popped into my mind like this is really interesting let's have you back on um so i i I will put in the description and i do think it's important for people to look at but just going back to to the earlier question because even though it's connected, I do think it's separate as well. So when you're when you're looking, and I'm sure you get tons. Basically, any esports startup will go through your through your eyes at some point. What are some of the things you're you're looking for? And then secondly, um, where do you see the the general investment space going? Sure. So I continue to be excited about the infrastructure and kind of what I call the business layer, kind of providing uh, the necessary call it pipes to make this business run. So anything that helps publishers become better at developing games, you know, I think some of the best startups in this space are the game engines, right? Because they make it that much easier for publishers to do what they're really good at at making games. Um, you know, Unicorn and Maisha obviously providing infrastructure layer. Um, I am scared of anything that is a point feature around, you know, tipping or wagering or just becoming a point solution versus an entire company Mm -hmm. and anything that relies heavily on IP. It just scares me of what might happen if, you know, a Twitter situation in 2012 happens where there's directly shut off the fire hose, right? I think it's just very, from an investment perspective, platform risk is something really big. And, you know, in my thesis of unbundling video and giving more direct control, anybody that is working on, you know, making streaming more democratic or getting people off of Facebook, Twitch, Google, that's all interesting to me. Um, but in all honesty, I think we, you know, I've talked to a number of people. I just haven't seen anything interesting or innovative come on the esports space. I think blockchain is now the flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some people try to apply blockchain to esports and just 
kind of combine maybe the two buzzwords, but I just don't, haven't seen any interesting applications for the stage that we're at now. Yeah, well, I, I do think that, that kind of brings we're to a broader point of like investment. So, and then we talked about this with, I talked about this with Mo two weeks ago, but like in the past, you know, everyone wanted to have an esports company in their portfolio. If only, like you said, with blockchain, it's the flavor of the month, flavor of the year. They just wanted to, you know, be able to say they're in. So they didn't really- Because they have to justify it to their investors, right? We can't miss out on this trend. So they didn't have to do a full, you know, their decisions obviously was there, but you know, the things like you were talking about of like, knowing the IP and like knowing that there are risks to these type of investment, they were put a little bit, they were pushed a little bit, you know, under the rug. And I think now what we're seeing, at least from my personal experience, is that a lot of investors are a little bit more educated. And I think because of that, they are more hesitant to make bets. And I think that's a good thing because if you, it doesn't matter if you're an esports company, a traditional sports company, a shipping company, your business needs to make sense. And in the past, some people got a pass that they didn't deserve. And from now on, if, if you're a good company, you'll get your investment. If you're, if you're a very risky company, maybe not. Yeah, I just don't think you can blow smoke up anybody's, you know what, <laughs> anymore in this, in this space. Um, you know, I think there are platforms that are like trying to help people raise. I just, you know, adverse selection issue. Um, because there is enough capital now interested in esports that good companies will get funded Mm -hmm. to your point i just think it's maybe plateaued in terms of innovation and how people are approaching the space you know anything data related i think it's super interesting um but unless you can get you know the team space is just not big enough yet so infrastructure for teams like SaaS for teams doesn't work um you know i think some of the league tournament um, infrastructure like the face of the battle flies are an opportunity but they're all like all the and mm-hmm. they've all kind of gone to that series a or series b stages um and you see some of the early guys you know like the mob crushes mm-hmm. having to really figure out how do they make a business out of this i know a ton of money keeps going into coaching but you know i kind of go into coaching as um you know kind of one of those platforms that face a lot of risk of you know, do you automate it or do you have players and how good is that yeah. player? How scalable is it? What's the customer acquisition cost? It's the value of the customer there the long time. And what will happen if that VC funding dries up? So I think there's a lot of soul searching going on with existing investors and existing portfolio companies to see how that would evolve into esports 2.0. Yeah, and I also think that once uh, you mentioned, you know, kind of what comes to team team as software as a service, but I think once the industry as a whole matures more, all of a sudden all these other possibilities open because all of a sudden the team liquids of the world are now worth as much as, you know, professional sports teams and have the money to spend. So now all of a sudden they could become big clients and, and maybe there's an amateur scene. So all of a sudden tools supporting that become a lot more reasonable. So just to wrap up, um, people want to know more about you. If people want to know more about Rubicon, how can they follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Twitter at Matt Kaliski, M-A-T-K-A-L-I-S-K-I. Check out Rubicon.vc. Um, and I also have a Medium page uh, where I write a lot about esports. I think um, I wrote about my initial, you know, twenty-point uh, thesis on esports. Then I wrote more about Maestro and kind of where I see the industry going. And then the article that 
um, reason I have been talking about is also published there. So feel free to check that out and we'll, we can include all that, right? Yeah, we'll include all that in the description. Medium, what's the what's the website title of that? Um, just or, at Matt Kaliski. Okay, perfect. Yeah. All right, this was uh, another episode of Esports Boom with Matt Kaliski of Rubicon VC. Um, thank you very much for listening and we're looking forward to uh, another episode next week.